Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kinley Tighe, and I'm the kids pastor here at Rolling Hills. Today, we're launching into our new series, Refine, Finding Freedom by Restoring Hope. It's likely that we've all heard of the seven deadly sins of lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. That's quite the list, and many of those sins are things that we struggle with on a daily basis. At times, it may feel like we will never be released from the grip that these sins have on our lives. But friends, there is hope. No matter the sin you struggle with most, God is on your side and is fighting for you. So let's find freedom and restore our hope together as we head into this new series. We're so glad you're here. Well, good morning. My name, as Laura shared earlier this morning, my name is Nick Allen, and I get the privilege of being the, the campus pastor of our regional Nashville location. So I do want to start out today um, by saying good morning to those of us who are watching online, and then also to the regionals who, who stream the first Sunday of every series. And so good morning to our Columbia campus and our Nolansville campus. It's great to have you guys worshiping together this morning. And then shout out to my Nashville campus. I'm not there with you today. Um, I do want to say if you're a first-time guest, I'm not able to meet you this morning over at the table to my left, your right, to give you a first-time gift bag and to tell you hello, but I'll be there next week. So if you come back, we'll get to say hello to one another and I'll get to meet you. I'm glad that you guys are there today. And it's a joy to be here with you this morning in the room at Franklin. Um, I'm glad to be here to get to start out this new series. Now, I will say on the outset of it that I had no idea four years ago um, when we made the move to launch a Nashville campus and I moved my family and my ministry up there, um, that I would be at one point invited back to come and start a brand new series called Refine in the Life of the Church, where I would be invited to tackle the topic of lust. <laughs> I don't know what straw that is that I drew, but here I am. And, and while Simmons makes his way to the Amazon, we pray and we say, God bless, and let's dive in. I'll say at this moment that if you're seated next to someone who has youngish or younger ears, um, we have great kids' ministry really good kids ministry programming in the preschool area and in the elementary school area, or just be prepared on the way home this afternoon to answer some questions and to have some teachable moment style conversations, because we're going to dive in hard to what the scripture has to say about sin. In fact, this entire series is really all about sins. We're going to tackle the topics of the seven deadly sins. And maybe some of you grew up in a tradition where, where you talked about the seven deadly sins, and that was something that was kind of held over you in life, and you could recite them, and you knew in a catechism or some sort of learning environment what they were. I'll say there's a couple different types of churches. One is that that overemphasizes sin, and that literally talks nonstop about sin all the time. And you feel the burden and the oppression and the difficulty that comes and the shame and the weight of your guilt in life because they never move past the point of sin into the redemption that Jesus offers. There's another kind of church and those that don't talk about sin often enough. 
And they aren't willing to name it and declare it and to say that these are the things that God's word teaches us and warns us about. These are the things that actually separate us from holy God. These are the reasons that we need forgiveness. These are the reasons that we need the sacrifice of Jesus. We've got to land on a place where we are comfortable, not necessarily comfortable with it, but comfortable naming and discussing the idea of sin in our lives. Proverbs chapter 6. We'll spend some time there this morning. But verse 16 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And right on the outset, I'll just say that that doesn't seem like very many. Six things, that's it? That's all God hates? Like, I hate more than six things. Like mayonnaise, snakes, craft singles. Like, there's a whole long list that I could give you of things that Nick Allen hates. And the things that are detestable, according to Scripture, that word literally means abomination. It's literally the thing that's unclean and disgusting. There are for sure more than seven things that I find disgusting. I lived in male dorms in college, and I used to clean the bathrooms at the Harris Theater. There's a lot out there in the world that's disgusting. So God only finds six things that he hates and seven things that are detestable to him. That certainly doesn't seem like a lot. The concept of seven deadly sins dates all the way back to the fourth century. And a monk by the name of Evagrius Ponticus, it sounds like a character from the Harry Potter, but it's not. And he literally penned eight evil thoughts. And the intended audience was, was monks, was nuns, was other clergy, people who had made a vow, people who had made a commitment to Christ. And so we say to the church today, those of us who are gathered in this place and gathered all over the place, who, who literally have made a commitment to Christ and, and a declaration in our life to receive his gift of forgiveness and express the desire to truly follow him, this list is for us. It's changed slightly through the years. Um, with Pope Gregory being the one that pared the eight down to seven, and he literally, what he did was he removed pride and made it the mother of all of the other evil desires and all of the other sins. And we'll get to pride in the coming weeks as we take literally the next seven to examine one of these at a time. Thomas Aquinas was the one who is credited with giving us the list that we're most familiar with today, um, even though he re-engaged the word pride and substituted what Gregory had called vainglory. I feel like vainglory is one of those words that you can only say properly with a British accent, like you're on the Great British Breakoff, or the Crown, but whatever. There's a lot of pop culture references to the idea of seven deadly sins, um, one of which being a movie that I saw when I was in college, and it was really terrible, and it kept me up a lot, the idea of seven. And to this day, nobody can ask me, what's in the box, without me having a little bit of a freak-out moment and want to look ever so cautiously. Research this week, as I was preparing for this message, revealed that the creator of Gilligan's Island actually intended for those seven characters to embody one each of the seven deadly sins. You didn't know that you were watching seven stranded castaways and being embodied the ideas of lust and gluttony and greed and sloth and wrath and envy and pride, but you were. There's a lot of modern day expressions. I promise I'm not stalling and I will get to the idea of lust, but y'all, it's a hard topic. <laughs> and scripture actually has a lot to say about it. Right from the beginning, all the way in the book of Genesis, it was a disease that captivated the heart of people. And all the way through the end of Revelation, it's pictured throughout the canon of Scripture, and there's a lot that it has to say to us. I hope you wore your stretchy pants, because we're going to gorge ourselves on a lot of Bible verses this morning that teach us and inform us on what it is and why it's dangerous. But as we start, let's pray and ask God to speak to us in a way that only he can. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time and the opportunity to gather 
um, in this place, in these places around our city and even in our homes around the world, to boldly ask you to speak to us in a way that only you can, to boldly ask you to remove all distractions, including the speaker or anything else that's going on in our heart and mind and life and in the room that we're in, that we might focus solely and intently on you and your word and its transformative power over our lives. These are the things that we pray today, and we ask them in the bold name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and and I hope you do, or your mobile device, we're going to toggle back and forth between an Old Testament book and a New Testament book, and then sprinkle in some other passages of Scripture throughout. We're going to engage Proverbs, largely chapter 6, but teetering into chapter 7, and then the book of New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, predominantly in chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 6, starting with verse 25, says this. Right out of the gate, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, Bible says that, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Verse 27, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? I love it when scripture is literal for us. Like, can you literally put fire into your lap without getting burned? I don't know if this is where the expression liar, liar, pants on fire comes from, but it should because it would be a really great opportunity it says, can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? I've never wanted to try that, by the way. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. We, we get this picture of sin from the Proverbs, the wisdom literature that's literally warning against difficulty that we might face in life because of our own choices and the temptations that we fall into. I spent the better part of my ministry career working with middle school and high school students. In fact, that's the job in 2007 that brought me to Rolling Hills to be the middle school and high school pastor. And in all of those years, I can't even count how many times I was asked a question that can be summarized by a super simple statement. Kids are always like, hey, Pastor Nick, is this a sin? Hey, Pastor Nick, why is that a sin? Hey, Pastor Nick, is that like a real bad sin or just like a, like a modest level sin like hey but what they're really asking was how close can I get to danger without crossing the line like how close can I get to sin without actually sinning and it's not just a question that middle schoolers and high schoolers ask it's a question that we continue to ask how close can we get to the edge without actually falling over the cliff and it's the wrong question because what we should be asking as disciples of Jesus Christ is how close can we get to the image and the person of Jesus without ever actually being Jesus how much can my life ever actually look like his not how close can I get to sin without it being dangerous but how close can I get to Jesus And this whole idea of sin that plagues us, this whole idea of sin that we're challenged by, I would love for us to basically say on repeat this entire series, we can list seven deadly sins. We can list 107 deadly sins. You can list all of the sins that you want to, but all sin, regardless of its earthly consequence and severity, all sin, you can list seven, but all of it leads to death. We look at the book of James. James is what the college and young adults are studying this whole month that thrives. So if you come to Nashville on Monday nights or Franklin on Thursday nights and you engage with other young adult peers, you're going to be studying the book of James with our college and young adult pastor, Brandon. And 115 of the book of James, it says this, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth 
to death. All sin leads to death. Scripture is clear. And this word desire here is literally the word lust. In fact, some of your Bible translations, including the New American Standard, are literally going to use the word lust for desire. And it's used interchangeably throughout the New Testament as the Greek word for the day. Romans chapter 6, 23, Paul goes on to explain, apostle who wrote most of what we have in the New Testament, that the wages of sin is death. It's a memory verse for me when I was a kid. And a leader explained, hey, it's really good that there's not a period at the end of that sentence. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of our sin nature and because of our sins active and passive and the way that we live our lives, we deserve death, but God has a gift. One of Satan's choice weapons in our lives, I read this week from John Piper, is this. Few sins wield as much power to blind unbelievers and to seduce Christians, and then immobilize them, discredit them, render them useless, piling on the shame. You know it. You know someone, maybe you've been that someone. You, you know someone who was pursuing Jesus. You know someone who was engaged in the word. You know someone who was leading their family. You know someone who was active in ministry. You know someone who was perhaps even leading a church ministry who because of lust and because of sexual impropriety and sin, they lost it all. A few centuries ago, the idea of the word lust, the English understanding of it, was, was basically any wide range of human desire. But now in modern culture, we understand to sum it up as shorthand for sexual desire. But the dominant power in in lust is not sex drive. That's that's a God-given thing that he put in us. It's sin that's the dominant power in lust. And what it produces in our drive in our lives wreaks havoc. Here's the definition. John Piper says, lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. And in our human nature, it is imperative that we adopt and understand the biblical definition of that word. Lust is, it's in your notes this morning, so much more than what culture makes of it. Culture says it's no big deal. Sex is everywhere. It sells products. It ensures longevity. It's what gets ratings. It creates status. There was a day when sexual impropriety actually cost someone something or or their position or their status or prevented them from obtaining something. And now you can barely garnish any attention at all without being so pervasive. But we say to ourselves, okay, lust is just looking, right? Like that's just, it's just the thoughts that you think. It's not actually acting on it. So, so, so we buy into the lie that the enemy wants to tell us that it won't hurt. But lust isn't new. And it wasn't just James that talked about it. And it wasn't just Paul that talked about it. Jesus, in his longest discourse, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He says in Matthew 5, 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a sin, and it's, it's growing. People's perceptions about it, just like those who are addicted to it, is, is fading. Did you know that teens, young adults, average age 13 to 24, believe that not recycling, which you should do that, it's a real good idea, that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography 
and, and that it really doesn't hurt anyone. I contend to you, and I think scripture supports that it hurts everyone. Here's some stats that you may be interested in because lust is not just something that we engage in in our hearts and our minds and our eyes. It's literally something that's pervasive in the world of a pornographic culture. 28,258 users are viewing pornography. You hope I say every hour. Mm -mm. Every second. $3,075 is spent on pornography every single second on the internet. One in five mobile searches are for pornography, and it's alive in the life of the church. According to research, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women, they're probably just better at hiding it because I believe that the numbers are far higher, have admitted to viewing a pornographic website in the last month. And 56% of divorces, including those that are inside the church, admit to having at least one party with an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. It's projected that virtual reality porn, I don't really know what virtual reality is, but it's apparently coming and it's a big deal, that that industry will reach $1 billion by the year 2025. I'm overwhelmed by this. As a pastor, I'm overwhelmed by this. As a dad of two teenage daughters and one elementary age son, I'm overwhelmed by this. I'm overwhelmed by the sin. I'm overwhelmed by the increase. And the fact that we are bombarded by it constantly is big and it is growing and it is deadly. But if you don't hear one other thing that's said this morning or one other thing that's said this whole series, no matter how that sin is big, no matter how much bigger it is than anything we understand, Jesus is greater still. Romans 5.20 says this, where sin increased, and trust me, it's increasing, grace increased all the more. Although lust and sinful desire is always on the rise in this world, and it, it may have been steadily on the rise in your life, not just because of websites, not just because of entertainment content, but because of the person next door who's not your spouse, because of the person that you're dating that you're not yet married to, because of the coworker or the Facebook content or the high school friend, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of what's gotten way out of control, regardless of how burned you got in the process, Jesus is greater. Grace is greater. God of this universe is willing and able and ready to forgive you of whatever that sin is and to release you from all of the shame and the guilt that weigh you down from it. He alone can reform your life and refine you. That's this series. Into who he created you to be. As believers in Jesus, we, we agree that lust is misplaced sinful desire. What is it? Any misplaced sinful desire. We land in the book of 1 Thessalonians and Paul is writing to the church there. And in chapter 4, he literally says this in verse 3. It is God's will. Like, this is God's desire for our lives that we should be sanctified. That's the process in our lives of how we become, through the power of the Holy Spirit, more and more and more like Jesus. How close can we get to the person of Jesus? Process of sanctification in our lives where he is literally refining us into the image of his son. That's his will for us in him that we should be sanctified. So we should avoid sexual immorality. Make no mistake, we, we may think of lust as a private sin, but it has very prominent consequences in our lives. And according to Jesus, at its core, immorality should be avoided. It's desire for someone other than your spouse 
It's desire outside of the marriage covenant. People may like that. Well, hey, Pastor Nick, when does it cross over from just basic human attraction over into lust? Because I have neurotransmitters in my life, and they're going bananas every time somebody walks by or every time a certain show comes on. And don't even get me started on the hormones. Isn't it just natural? Lots of sins are natural, but that doesn't make them holy. It is a desire, and it's a longing for a sexual gratification apart from the fulfillment that can only come in Christ and in the context of a marriage covenant. What does it do? It deceives and destroys. Go to Proverbs chapter 7. It says, with pervasive words, persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. It it literally lies to you. And then it says, all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till it arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. These are not good images. This is literal death. We're not talking about like Animal Planet or National Geographic or Crikey, it's the Irwins where we're so committed to wildlife conservation. This is, my friend Kyle watches the hunting channel. I didn't even know there was a hunting channel. But yo, those are dark images of animals crawling up in the woods and hunters coming out and killing them. And you see, this is the image that scripture, that the writer of the wisdom literature wanted to paint for us. This is what lust does. It makes us pray. Fire in the fireplace is good, especially right now, y'all. It's cold, but fire in our laps is bad. Back to 1 Thessalonians, if you pick up in chapter 4, verse 6, it says that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we were told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Lust deceives us and lust destroys us because it dishonors others. We're we're an others first kind of faith. It says no one should wrong or or take advantage of a brother or a sister. That's literally the the Greek word for transgress, and it means to step over. I don't care about you. I'm just going to step over you. I'm going to step on you, and it doesn't matter what kind of pain or damage is done to you in the process. And make no mistake, it is both a brother and a sister. Sometimes culturally, we buy into another one of the enemy's lies that says, oh, lust is only a man issue. This is not a man's conference this morning. This is church. And women be struggling too. And, and so let's not forget that, 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 that the industry that supports it, this is not a man problem. The stats on women in pornography are skyrocketing. And we're not just talking about actual pornography. We're talking about half the shows on Netflix that are pornographic in nature, that pervasive sex in one way or another. Um, and I'll just say it because what have I got to lose? The Bachelor, The Bachelorette Empire, half the Hallmark movies we watch. All of it is built on targeting women and making you want something that you don't yet have and that's outside the bounds of God's will in your life. And if we are participating, man, woman, if we are participating in lust, I'll, I'll say partaking in or, or paying for or taking pleasure from or even ignoring scriptures dangers of in any way, shape, or form in the support of an entertainment industry that is causing worldwide mass destruction, then we have to settle our stomachs on the fact that we are denigrating and enslaving God's people. Please do not tell me, man or woman, that you're honoring your mother or honoring your spouse 
or raising godly kids. When by our lust we're participating in an ideology that funds an industry that is literally enslaving people worldwide, some of whom are physical slaves because of the actual sex trade and many of whom are lost spiritually because they believe that somehow, in some way, sex and feelings and fulfillment are the end-all, be-all in life. And we as believers in Jesus Christ know that there is more. And we are not to be a people who dishonor others, who objectify others, who harm other people. And that's what lust does. It dishonors others, but it also, you saw it, it disregards God. It says it in verse 8, that anybody who rejects this instruction does not just reject a human being, does not just reject a human authority, does not just reject some man-made rule, but is literally rejecting God. So how do we do it? We, we know what it is, sadly, and we, we know what it costs. So how do we confront lust that's in our lives? First, you've got to identify the temptations, and they may be unique to you, but First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, for everything, that's anything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but the world. We've got to identify what those things are, what those triggers are, what those temptations are. We've got to be able to know it, and as uncomfortable as it is, say it, and then we've got to choke their supply in our lives. Back to James, and then back to Paul, and then back to Jesus. James 1.21 says, therefore, get rid. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and, and, and humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. The New American Standard Bible doesn't say not even a hint. It says not even be named. These things have no place in the life of the committed Christ follower who is pursuing God's agenda. And Jesus, in his section on adultery in the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't just say, oh yeah, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. He gave the remedy. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if we don't think that Jesus Christ thought that lust was a big deal, those words would not be included. Not even a hint of or participation in whatsoever. Anything that satisfies our lust because it does nothing more than to satiate our sin and has no place in the life of the Christ followers. So we choke the supply of the things in our life that are turning our hearts and our minds and our attentions away from Jesus, and then we shield our lives, Paul wrote, in a whole section about the armor of God and how we protect ourselves against the enemy. He said, shield our life in faith. Chapter 6, verse 16 of Ephesians says, says, in addition to all this, all of the armor, take up the shield of faith, which wish you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. There are guards that you can put on your Phone. There are protection devices that you can enable on your home computer. And for those of us who are parents, it is imperative that we engage those things. It is imperative that we engage whatever those protect. We can help you find the right resources for your computer or your phone or your iPad or your home streaming network devices, whatever they are. You have to engage those things in order to choke the supply of sin in your life and to shield yourself and your family from the enemy's tactics. There's accountability with other believers where you can find in a community group or a men's group or a women's 
women's Bible study, there are opportunities for you to get toe-to-toe and knee-to-knee and eye-to-eye with another believer and to confess your sins, the book of James says, one to another, so that we can be healed and released from all this. And let me just also go ahead and say that there are opportunities for counseling in this church and all throughout our very well-resourced community that can help you get over the sins of your past, tackle the sins of your present, and move towards freedom in your life. Be the person who's bold enough to write that down on your response card this morning or to have a conversation with one of our pastors this morning, to make the request of counseling this morning so that you can take a step towards freedom, towards taking every single, First Corinthians says, every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And finally, I threw this in here. What else is going to help us battle lust in our lives? Serve and lead. First Corinthians 15, 58 says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing, bracket, including lust, move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If lust is all about satisfying ourselves, then we should probably fill our time sacrificially serving others. John Piper says that lust grows fast in the garden of leisure. So get busy doing right things in the right ways. The ultimate remediation for lust in our lives is love. In fact, every single one of these seven deadly sins over the course of this series is going to come with a biblical virtue that needs to be pronounced and prominent in our lives. Where, where, where lust says, I have to have it now, love says, I can be patient and wait on God's best timing for me. Where, where lust says, what does this do for me? Love says, what can I do for others? Where lust is all about convenience, love is all about covenant commitment. And we acknowledge here today that love is so much better. And when lust is in our lives, it's only a counterfeit of the good thing that God wants to give us. Love is better. And we have to start with the love of Jesus. It's described in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is how we're forgiven. This is how we're invited into God's forever family. That Christ's sacrifice in that Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, while we were still on the internet, while we were still engaging impure thoughts, while we were still diving down the road of impropriety and activity in our lives, Christ was dying on the cross for us. That's love. So we embrace that and we receive that freely. It's the love of Jesus and then it's his love for others through us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's a passage that's used often at at weddings, the idea of how we describe and define love. It's, It's patient, it's kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not, it's not rude, it's not proud, it's not self-seeking, bracket lust. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, lust does not protect you. It always trusts, Love is, lust is not going to lead you to someone that you can trust. Love always hopes. There's no hope found in the lust of the flesh. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. So we love other people in the way that God has designed and described for us, and then we love God's ways. 
Right at the beginning, when God called his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he begins to define for them how they're supposed to live their free lives. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, this is how you live free lives. You walk in obedience to him. You love him and you serve the Lord your God. This is how you live free lives, Deuteronomy 11. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, you keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. When it's all said and done, lust only seeks to sacrifice that which is good and that which is godly. It's about satisfying yourself without the presence of a covenant commitment. That's why love is the remedy. That's why love is the remedy. Lust may be common to all of us, but it can also be overcome by all of us. The enemy is content to rip us a new one and tear us apart as we seek to satisfy any desire that we might have in life and then to bury us under the weight of the guilt in it. But only in Jesus Christ can we overcome that temptation and move beyond the shame of our sin into a place of freedom. My mercy, this is a hard topic. I'm going to go back to Nashville and talk about something else and y'all can have me back whenever it's time to talk about like circumcision or tribulation because the Bible has a lot of hard topics. (laughs) Apparently those are the ones I pick. Lust is a hard one. Maybe you're in a place today where this has been as hard for you to hear as it has has been for me to say. Have you heard the expression, she wouldn't run from a fire? Do not walk away from your sin today. Run from it. All out, ugly, run, free, flee, freely from it. Get away as fast as you can. You do not walk away quietly, patiently, or calmly from lust. You run from it. You deny its power over your life, and you understand that God has something that is so much better for you. His love, the love of his people. Who knows, maybe even the love of just the right person or the rekindled love of your person. Lust is an addiction And all the things that come with it are damaging. We should not shy away from hard conversations like this. We shouldn't recoil, self-included, for for difficult sermons like this. We should be brave enough, and we will be this series. We're going to put our brave pants on, and we're going to declare what sin is. But we will also take comfort in what Christ offers. Lust is a lack of love, and love is the number one command. Love is the prevailing ethic in which we are supposed to live our lives. And love is the way that people on the outside of this church will have the joy and pleasure of seeing Jesus Christ alive in this church. So we declare boldly that sin is sin. We move away from that. And we position ourselves to be a people of love for God and love for others so that they may see Christ. His name, His goodness, His life can be freely moving all about our lives. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you for this day and the chance to turn our attention towards something that's difficult because we do know, God, that it is somehow good for us. My prayer today is for the persons in this room who are stuck, 
stuck under the attacks of the enemy in our lives and in the bondage of sin that comes from succumbing to temptation in our lives. And God, I ask that you would provide for them hope and freedom and healing today. For those of us who bear the call of raising up the next generation, that's all of us, God, of investing our lives in kids at home or kids in classes or kids in our families and our neighborhoods and in our community, God, I pray that you would help us to shield them from so much difficulty in life that comes from buying into the lie that what we want is what we need. God, we declare to you today that you are all we need. And we thank you for the gift of forgiveness that is found in Jesus. And we ask God that by your power, you would help us to live free lives in Christ. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.